You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And as a man, as someone who feels, um, and it, uh, often it, my mission is to encourage men to realize that they are emotional beings, at, and the emotions can actually serve us. We're, we're not... You know, we're not some sort of different creature creature that that isn't supposed to feel this, that, or the other. Um, and often, one of the one of the my favorite kind of shows is meeting another man, having conversation with another man has, that has discovered that um, in his own way that that emotions actually do serve him. That that kind of shutting them off, ignoring them, has made things more difficult than it needs to be. And discovering the power of of one man's authenticity and vulnerability. And today, I'm very excited to have author Rick Sharp join us, and we're going to be talking about heartbreak and how heartbreak could be that that painful entry into discovering your own emotions and and what you really are. So, so welcome to the show, Rick. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Now, um, you, I, I find your your current life uh, pretty fascinating and and neat with uh, with where you live and work. Might might you tell us a little bit about what you're up to today? Yeah, well, I live in Dubai. I actually just moved back there for uh, after living three years in uh, in Baghdad, of all places. Um, and uh, the book was something uh, I kind of did on the side. But uh, it, again, it's all around heartbreak. And uh, although I have a job in aviation, this was one of my kind of it's turning into one of my passions. I think because of the fact that some of the things that you had mentioned, where some of the stuff that I went through after sort of opening up and going through that, I realized that there's a a lot of men out there that are going through some similar stuff, some stuff that's a, a lot worse even, and uh, but it all boils down to that sort of embracing your what's going on inside you in, in an emotional perspective and, uh, you know, putting that out there more for yourself sometimes than for other people. But when you do do that for yourself and people acknowledge that, then that helps them in a way that gives them that kind of courage and bravery to do it themselves. Mm, cool. So the, your book is called The Price of Heartbreak. So, so what did prompt the book? Oh, interesting question, man. It's an interesting story in the sense that um, I was very heav- uh, emotionally heavily invested in a relationship that was lasted for four years. And um, when you know, we had we talked about it, we kind of drifted apart and we decided that, okay, we need to move on. But when that actually happened, um, the precursor to that was I was uh, working from home 
And I was struggling with that. I didn't have uh, a place to go where I had uh, colleagues and companionship in that respect. Spent a lot of time on my own. And I, I kind of, in my heart, I knew I was kind of losing this woman. And I really didn't know what to do. But so when we made that decision and decided to go our separate ways, I mean, my God, she drove out around the corner and down the road. And, and it was that moment that it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the week that followed, um, I got to a point where uh, I was really kind of slipping into a really dark place very quickly. And I was lost and, and that, that person wasn't around in my life on a day-to-day basis. Um, so what happened was I started, because we, we all know that, that 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 noise that goes on to your head, you, you can't suppress it, you can't uh, rationalize it, you can't debate it, and you never really come up with an answer because it just swirls around in circles. So I started to journal just to get it out of my head in the sense that I needed some kind of peace to just get some sleep. And that's how it kind of started. A friend of mine said, well, it sounds like you kind of accidentally wrote a book because the journaling was more for myself. And I realized in the end, so was the book, but that's kind of how it started. Cool. Now this, I imagine this was not your first breakup in your life. Uh, No, it wasn't actually. Um, And I think, but this was the first one that I was that heavily involved. And I thought I was literally 100% in and unconditionally there. However, I realized afterwards that that really wasn't the case. But the precursor to that was um, I was always finding my, I was finding myself in the same place and it was, it, it seemed to be a recurring theme. So I needed to sort of go back into my past, which is a painful experience for some people and myself as well, but to find out how I got to that point and, and what was the recurring theme that I was always ending up with the same results. And that's what I need. That's where I needed to get to. So you had been the, the way you were in relationships kept repeating, but you didn't really, you didn't think, I'm just, Hmm. If I'm, I'm trying to figure out like in, in my mind, kind of the, the biggest heartbreak, I, I, I almost think of like, like first loves and being a teenager and young love and yeah. and things like that so i'm yeah were prior relationships did, did relationships end and you just had no emotions were you were you were very different um level of feeling in prior relationships no well they were there and uh it was a different level definitely because i think when i look back on it i didn't realize uh through the course of the relationships that i had you know both in family and and and, and love relationships uh i i hadn't really opened up and that vulnerability wasn't there. And then when they ended, yeah, sure, it was painful, but not to the degree that this one was. Because in this particular relationship, I thought like, okay, this is the one and like, I'm really gonna let this go. Um, And I really wanted to put myself out there in a vulnerable sense. And then the same thing happened and I'm thinking, okay, well, what do I need to do? Or what do I need to know and evolve from this to make that next jump? a little bit more, well, not so much less painful. That'll always be painful, but not to that degree, but a little bit more substantial and wholesome, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, I've met a number of men during the course of this show, guys that will have a bad relationship and will kind of just decide, I'm not going to have anything to do with women again, and I'm just going to be 
you know, yeah. isolated. And, and is that something that ever crossed your mind, that, that response? Uh, no, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, when I was, uh, I went away to Bali for three weeks, and this was kind of my time to, quote, unquote, finish the book. Um, that never happened. Uh, what I did when I was there, I, I Googled vulnerability. Uh, and this was, I realized <clears throat> this was my, uh, one of my issues, one of my major issues. And I came across Brene Brown. Uh, so she talks a lot about uh, guilt and shame and vulnerability and the avoidance thereof. And as I read, I read three of her books in two weeks. And I realized as I was going through these that I was ticking all the boxes to, you know, the poster child of uh, avoiding vulnerability. Because in my generation, and probably part of yours is that, that was a weakness. Like you didn't make yourself vulnerable. So I avoided that at all cost at the price of my relationships. It was okay for uh, <clears throat> one woman to know a little bit about me and another one a little bit about me. But I mean, had they all got together in the same room, I'm screwed. So like, <laughs> to really let all that out and uh, it, for, for one relationship, that was a really tough thing for me to do. Hmm. But after this last one, I sort of went on a, on a journey of, okay, why and learning about myself. And I, I got into sort of some emotional self, uh, self, self healing. And I learned a lot around uh, emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And, um, I think that got to the point where, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you, when you go through that kind of process and I did it, you can numb all you want and people use different things to numb whether it be, you know, casual relationships, it'd be liquor, it'd be drugs or, or whatever the case may be. But when you do numb, you, you can't selectively numb. Like you can't, you can't numb the, the, the negative emotions because you end up numbing the positive emotions as well. So, and this is one of the things that I learned. So would I jump in again? Yes, absolutely. Obviously that, uh, uh, all the, situation would have to be that that person would have to be right for me that connection would have to be there all those things and uh but would i be ever heartbroken like that again no because i think i've gained some tools over the last two and a half three years to actually address those things so i, I think that was the part of the journey and that was the uh the part that was some really really big uh, uh emotional growth for me right so it's you're, hmm, there, there's a new strength in yourself that you're still willing to take the risk, but th anything ending d wouldn't take away your, self, your sense of identity as much. Does that make, is that <clears throat> accurate? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and that's because of one major thing. Um, I've actually, over the last probably two and a half years, I've, I've actually really learned to like who I was or who I am. And I've gotten to the point where I, I think I love who I am. And that was a huge leap of faith for me. And I think it is for most people because we really struggle with compliments and, we, you know, given to us and we really struggle with accepting uh, praise. And if we actually look in the mirror and say, you know what, I really love who you are and, and what you're about. That's not ego talking. That's, that's self, that's self love. And that's huge. And if you're going into another relationship, are you aware at all where you learned that it was wrong for you as a man to be vulnerable? I grew up that way because uh, my dad was in the military and I, I mean, it wasn't his fault, but you know, my generation was big boys. Don't cry. You fall down, brush it off, get up, move on. Uh, I was uh, in two uh, uh, 
alpha male environments growing up, obviously playing hockey. And uh, the other one was uh, I worked in air traffic control. And that was an environment where regardless of, I mean, they used to tell you to, okay, whatever you've got going outside of work, uh, feelings, uh, emotions, all that, you check it at the door, you come in, you do your job. And uh, there were days when I would sit and work and everything inside you would be screaming stress, but you suppressed it and somebody looking at you from the outside looking in would never know what was going on inside you. And you get really, really good over a number of years of, uh, number of, years of suppressing all that uh, stress, emotion, although it was work-related. But again, it's not selective. You walk out of work and you transfer that into your personal life mm -hmm. when you do it for so many years. So even though you're in a situation emotionally with a partner, you're suppressing it. Like you're not letting that emotion out. And the interesting thing about women is they want and need a reaction. So they'll do some interesting things to get a reaction out of you one way or the other. And men will do one of two things. They'll either lash back or they'll shut down. And in my case, I shut down in my marriage. And uh, that makes it even worse because now there's no communication. And, you know, women don't deal with well with being with a partner that's just not communicating and even responding to some of the really strange and sometimes ugly things that they might do to try to get all they want is a reaction, just something. Are you there? Are you alive? Are you here on this planet with me? And uh, that's a difficult situation. So I knew I had to, in the long run, you know, get out of that stigma and, and avoid that. That's funny. I've never heard it uh, kind of that way. And it makes me think of the, the phrase of, you know, the, so women are looking for proof of life in there. Like any reaction, any, yeah. any, any emotion out of a man yeah. is better than the, in, than just the wall. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't look, uh, Jesus, throw a beer bottle at the wall, do something, get mad. Like yeah. just react, please, because I'm reacting and I'm not getting that same level from you. So, you know, and, and what's unfortunate is, you know, that frustration actually turns into over a period of time uh, into contempt. And when in a relationship, when you get to that point, I mean, you're almost at the point of no return. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm sure that's how relationships that are just kind of built on drama, um, yeah. you know, that there's not real yeah. communication. There is just react, 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 react. Yeah, and this is where the mindfulness came in for me. And it's, it's one of those things where when we do react, um, whatever that is, that fight or flight response, and it, the chemicals are instantaneously kicking out into your body. And if you can, and, and somewhere in your body, you physically feel something changing and for me it's in the middle of my chest and where I get that anxiety feeling so if you can slow yourself down a half a second and recognize that that's happening and instead of reacting kind of respond to the situation I think you've got a different conversation going on there but lots of us get emotionally hijacked and then we're just we're, at that point, we're forgetting or not even understanding or listening to what the other person is saying. We're just lashing back just to hurt, to uh, react to what they're saying. And that's uh, basically, that's a no-win situation. That never ends well. Mm. And look, so, so it's really the, the simplest way to look at mindfulness is just slowing things down and, and kind of identifying where an emotion is in your body. Is that a key to slowing it down? 
That's part of it, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's about awareness, being in the present. And uh, it, that, that's, that's a huge uh, thing around uh, mindfulness. So if, and that starts with self-awareness. Because if you, if, if you have very, a, high, a high level of awareness of self, that actually projects onto the other person. And it takes two people to have an argument. And, and if you're not going there, they've, they've really got no place to go. So uh, it's, uh, it's a great tool for two things, uh, diffusing uh, a situation that you're in at the moment. And secondly, it's a great tool to actually settle yourself down internally. And then again, I, like I said, that, that, that sort of influences your responses to a given situation. And, med- and mindfulness is not just about meditation. So it's, it's that self-awareness. And, and that's, I think, where that's part of getting to know yourself, uh, both from an emotional and a physical perspective. And you can sort of attach those two things together. And, uh, and when you realize you've got, at some point, the penny drops. And for me, it dropped probably well, five or six months ago after you know, playing with this for a couple of years where, wow, like, all of a sudden, even on a day-to-day basis, like I'm more in the present, more aware of what I'm doing in my surroundings and my environment, but I'm just a lot more settled. Like I'm just so much more peaceful. Like I'm, my thoughts don't run away with me and, and I, don't, I don't judge people as much as I used to. I mean, we still do, we're human, absolutely. But that, that doesn't build up that anger and I, it, I just let it go. And that's sort of watching what's going on in your head and, and feeling it and, and feeling your emotions and knowing like their weather systems in your head, they'll pass. They always do. And uh, that's really, that's really worked out for me to be honest. Hmm, cool. I, so it's, it's, you were journaling a lot to promote your own yeah. healing and awareness and the book came out of that. So what was, was yeah. the book primarily to help yourself and it, and if other people connected to it, great. Yes, exactly. So, and that's kind of the way it happened. Um, and there's two things about that. Number one, journaling is a, is, is a fantastic uh, way to actually help yourself heal because in my particular case, you have a historical record. So if you go back six months and you look at the stuff that you were journaling and you were writing about then, there sometimes in my case, it was very different than what I was writing six months later. I could actually see going back, I could actually see myself improving. And that, that was a measurement for me. And the, uh, the, the book, um, I remember, I remember to this day, uh, uh, I was walking a friend of mine's wife was at work. Uh, she's there for a visit and she worked in the industry, the publishing industry for 19 years as a representative. And she read the draft twice and I think it was two days and when I was walking out of the room she 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 was sort of walking down the hallway alongside me hold grabbed my hand with both hers and she says wow she says you need to get this out there because well just because the world needs to hear this story and I thought oh okay that kind of pushed me over. and scared the hell out of me because I'm a very private person I didn't want to put my vulnerability out there mm. you know and uh, you do that like on a Facebook live and you do it well and people connect to that. But me, I sucked at that. I didn't want to do that. It was scary for me to do that in a book, much less, you know, face to face Facebook live to the millions of people out there. So I took the leap. I did it. And, um, somebody asked me, well, how many books do you think you'll sell? And I thought, 
I really don't care because it's exactly the, what you said. I did it for me. It worked for me. It helped me. It moved me into a significant other part of my life. And if other people that read it, if they resonate with any part of it, because it really doesn't tell you what to do. It's just my experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the upside that if, if one person, and it's already happened, but if one person took something away from that, that actually would help them make their lives a, a little better in any given day, then, you know, it's job done. I mean, I was, I would be really happy with that. Cool. And, and I did want to ask, you know, what's kind of the, the best thing that has happened as a result of writing the book. Uh, so let me ask that. <laughs> um, there was two, there was two messages in the book. Um, and, the, and, and basically it is because I went through a, probably not as deep as other people, but uh, I went through a significant depression for a period of time. And what I learned coming out of that was, you know, if you, if you, God, if you do nothing else, if you do nothing else, realize two things. Number one, you're not alone. You know, do the math. I mean, how many emotions do we have? And there's 7 billion people on the planet. You know, there's probably a hundred million people like you going through the same thing, varying degrees in, you know, you're still you know, locked in your bedroom under a blanket for two days. Like, there's tons of people out there going through the same thing. You're not alone. Second thing is talk about it. Please talk about it because that's what I started doing. And two things happened when I started talking about it. Number one was, now, not everybody deserves to hear your story. Not everybody deserves that. But the people that I started talking to, they brought out different aspects of that story. And I, I started vocalizing it in different ways to different people. So if I was listening to myself talk, I was actually learning more the way I verbalized it. So, and, uh, and the other thing, like, I don't care who you talk to. It's a, if it's a 1-800 number, if it's a friend, if it's your dog, I don't care. Just talk about it and listen to what you're saying. So, uh, and that, that was a, that was two big things on that journey. So yeah, the book was, it was never meant to be a book. It ended up being a book. And, uh, I, I, to this day, I can't even tell you how many have sold. And again, like if it helps people, great. But, uh, those were the two big, big things because we, as men, I think we, we hide that we're so good at hiding that we have the, all these societal stereotypical norms that we need to try and live up to and being vulnerable is not one of them. Hmm. And uh, when any one of those things fall away, we get crushed and we don't know what to do with it. And we feel less of a man and we don't, we don't feel we have that contribution. And and there's a, there's all kinds of people around us that walk around uh, next to us by us on the subway that suffer in silence because they don't know where to go with it. You, you said something that I that I had not heard before, and and that was that not everyone deserves to hear your story. Could could you expand on that? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you're not going to walk up to your your neighbor that you don't know very well and start spilling your guts. He's going to think that you're crazy. You need to be on the J ward someplace on medication. But I think that um, there are people that you trust, and that and that's not always family because family can be very very judgmental. Um, I think there are people that you trust and I think you know who those people are. And I think there are people out there. No, I know there are people out there that uh, do the reverse of coaching. They, they will give you that space, that safe space to say what you want, to say what you need. And uh, there's a big difference between hearing what you're saying and listening to what you're saying. So there are some selective people out there that will sit and just be with you as you sort of get stuff off your chest. And 
in reverse. I mean, I think that's very, very important, especially with people with depression. They don't want to hear, oh, you just need to get out more, or you just, come on, let's go to the movies. They don't want to hear that crap. They just like, hey, look, I'm here. You want to talk? You know, you open that door. Sometimes just asking, hey, are you okay, opens that door. Mm-hmm. And some people just want to know that you actually give a shit. That's it. Yeah, that's what I find time and time again. As someone in pain, someone taking that risk to, to tell another person about it, you don't have to do or say anything. It's just no. be there. Like, don't yeah. let them speak and don't turn your back. Don't run away. Don't, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. just, just. Yeah. And, and that's all, that's that whole mindfulness thing. Like, be in the present, like, be, be aware, like, be totally focused in the moment with that person. Yeah. That is probably the biggest gift you can give to that person. Yeah, beautiful. So I wonder if your if your definition or thoughts about what it means to be a man ha- has changed through this process you've gone through. Well, for sure, absolutely. And one, and, and one of the big things is is that uh, vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. Mm-hmm. It um, when you open that part up, and I'm not. I was one of those people who would never talk about my feelings and I was a great person to talk to, to listen to other people's feelings, but mm. you know, to be able to vocalize those feelings and get better at it. That's been a very fulfilling thing with relationships with my family, with, uh, with my friends. And uh, you know, I haven't since been in a relationship uh, since the last one, but you know, I'm very selective and I'm very picky and I'm, I can afford to be that. And uh, quite honestly, I'll, I'll take one year of, absolutely amazing with someone over 10 years of "Mm, it's okay so and when i like i look at relationships uh, like on five different connections in the sense that there's the visceral one like i mean that's the animal kingdom attraction and then there's the physical obviously then i think then the emotional part sort of weaves its way into it and then there's the intellectual and then finally the spiritual part of it so if you're connecting on all five of those cylinders uh, you're, you're into amazing. And that's, that's kind of, uh, I don't want to settle to be honest. Mm. And so in, in your prior relationships and, and, and you've been married as, as well, uh, right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So did, were you even aware of those kind of five levels to connect on? Oh God, I was running on automatic. I had no idea what the hell I was doing half the time. And mm. I think that's the other part of what's happened over the last three years is I think I've, and so many people run on automatic that, they don't realize what's going on. They don't remember the drive to work or back or uh, they come home and uh, they got work on their mind. They don't even appreciate or even remember the time with their kids in the evening, et cetera, et cetera. What that, I think what happened is I woke up mm. and I think that was the biggest thing for me because I'm a lot I'm more in touch with myself and awareness and, and my feelings and my emotions. Uh, I don't, I'm not shy about expressing them to a great extent. I'm not, near where you guys are you yourself personally yet but you know it's a work in progress and i think that's the way i look at it as long as i live that'll continually be a work in progress and i'll aspire to you know being better and you know every time i wake up you know let's bring you know what can i do to bring the best version of rick to the world today that i did yesterday and you know every day you get that chance to do that and but at the same time without judgment of yourself you have to cut yourself some slack and say, look, I'm a human being. I'm going to have my shitty days. I'm going to have my bad days. I'm going to suck at this sometimes. And don't beat yourself up over that. So allowing yourself, allowing some love for yourself, but at the same time, allowing you to be a human being, that part goes hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite aspects of the four agreements 
with, with one being one of the four agreements is, you know, always do your best, but realize that yeah. your best is going to vary. And your yes. the, the best Rick today can be different from the best Rick tomorrow and different from the best Rick Absolutely. last week. And yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Exactly. So when you go to bed at night and, uh, Whatever it is you do, whatever it is you do before you go to bed, I mean, you can look back on that day and say, you know what, that day sucked, but you know, I, I did my best, and you know, I got there, and I'll do better tomorrow. Cool. Uh, a number of times you've mentioned that through this whole process, you got to know yourself much better. So, yeah. I, so I wonder if, if prior to this, prior, you know, we'll call it the dark night of the soul to, to give it some sort of framework. Um, Prior to that, was, was there a fear of knowing yourself or just not even an awareness of that you were kind of blind to anything? I think it was a bit of both, to be honest. And I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of people do this. And I was one where I was living my life in my head hmm. and none of that was coming out. And the only time you actually ever have a choice in life is in the present moment. And I'd be dreaming a lot. I wish it was like this or I wish it was like that, but it's not like that. And, and I had no tools available to me to understand even how, how emotions work, how the, how the brain works, how that triggers various things in your body. And just give you a quick example. If we talked about drama earlier. And when people that live drama, like, day after day after day we're the only animals on the planet that can actually manufacture our own stress mm -hmm. so this fight and flight response is constantly for some people for a lot of people actually is kicking in every day all day day after day week after week after week and your body's not designed to handle that and you wonder why people get sick so what happens is it, it just kicks your homeostasis either completely right or left in the sense that that then becomes the norm, that stress level. And then when you try to, and that's why I think people, when they, when they realize that and they try to bring their, their life back into balance through meditation and other things, the body fights hard. It wants that chemical fix. It wants that fix every day it's had for the last five years. They don't want calm. They want that stuff, that drama. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't think people realize they go looking for drama unconsciously mm. because it gives the body that physical chemical fix that it wants and it thinks is the norm. And so if you, if you have people like that, you say, okay, I'm just going to take 15 minutes and just sit down and just be calm and think about nothing. It's absolutely impossible for some people because they're so triggered and wired to that drama that it's, it's that's, again, that's the norm. Yeah, I, 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 I've certainly found this in my own life um, that, that we can get addicted to our own chemistry, whatever, be, be it drama, be it stress, be it all these, all these yeah. things that we can know are bad for us. But if that's what we're so used to, we think that's exactly. what being alive really is. That's the only thing you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, like I said, that becomes the norm and, and, and people keep chasing that unconsciously. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and then it's a, and vice versa too. Like the people that actually find, I think I've gotten there to a great extent. They, they find a little inner peace and that calm. And that then becomes the norm for them. Mm. And they, they can't go anywhere near drama. So it, it works both ways. Yeah. Do, do, is, is that a realistic goal or possibility? Can, 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 can someone live in a, in a state of perpetual calm? 
Well, it, oh, for sure, it's, it's possible. It takes a lot of hard work. I mean, go to Tibet and talk to some of the monks and, and they do amazing things with their body just based on the fact that they've been meditating for the last 30, 40 years and they do it hours and days at a time. Uh, but it's a huge, huge commitment. Um, and even myself some days, uh, trying to put away 10 minutes for a little meditation is difficult because we're, we're so busy. But again, you know, five, 10 minutes a day, every day is a lot better than, you know, an hour on the weekend. So, um, but it is possible and, and, but those people are, I think are few and far between. I think any kind of meditation is great. And if you can make that a practice, uh, and, uh, you know, in whatever shape or form works for you, uh, based around your schedule, I think that that's all good. You, you cannot go wrong in any way, shape or form with that, whether it's five minutes or five hours. And, and that's a great thing to let people realize. I know, you know, for, for years before I got into meditation, I resisted like, Oh, I don't have an hour to go, yeah. you know, sit in the corner on a pillow and, you know, say yeah. home. And, but yeah, there's so many different yeah. ways to get, to get more present, to get more focused, to get mindful. Yeah. Um, and tell, tell me if you, if, if you agree with this, if this is your experience, but I often, I thought meditation meant having an empty mind, but really meditation is just when you notice you're distracted, Oh, just come back. You know, I, when I was first learning, yeah, you're like, oh, there goes a thought. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing this wrong. I'll give up. Like, no, that's, if you're going to have thoughts, just come back. You're absolutely right. And this is the part that people struggle with. Number one, you can never have a still mind. I mean, that's impossible because your mind is, is always wired. It's always going. Even when you're sleeping, it's going. So I think the key there is to um, recognize what thoughts are there, recognizing that they're, they pass. And they come and go. And the big thing when your mind wanders, part of the meditation process is to recognize that and bring it back. Concentrate on your breathing uh, or wherever your breath is uh, entering and, and leaving your body. So, uh, and that brings you back into the present. So, and the biggest thing is if you have a crappy meditation and it lasts for three minutes, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't judge yourself. Mm. And, and I think that's the biggest thing because it's like you said, oh, yeah, like I've I've managed like three times this week, and it was two minutes, and I'm just frustrated. I'm just not gonna give up. I'm just gonna give up and, and just not bother with this. Cut yourself some slack. I mean, it's it it, ta it takes a while. It's hard work, and but it's beneficial, and it's, it's so healthy. And uh, you just keep at it, and just don't judge yourself too harshly. Yeah, that's um, you know, where, wherever, whatever point of pain or frustration or shutting down where, wherever anyone is feeling you didn't get there overnight so it's really unrealistic to go oh i'll just poof, release this all overnight and i'm i'm this another person and it, i'll stay this other person and yeah 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 it's like there's a there's a story kicking around about the millennials are standing at the bottom of the mountain and they can see the uh, they can see the summit but what they can't see is all the trees and the climb in between and it's the same kind of analogy where, yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. It, it's, uh, it's an acquired competence and it's, it's, it's very fulfilling over a period of time. And once you get there, you get the other side of that, it, it, it becomes a habit and uh, it becomes a norm and it's very, very difficult to give up. Hmm. So c can you share what, um, I mean, you've mentioned a few throughout the conversation, but I want to give you a chance to kind of bring it together or reemphasize. But what what sort of things stand out as as keys to your growth, your healing, your awareness? Uh, I think it was two things. First of all, is um, 
when I was kind of hit that rock bottom bit, I had to admit to myself and I had to acknowledge where I was because if I didn't, I was blaming others. I was blaming her. I was blaming other people. And, and, you know, the world is responsible for my own demise, so to speak. So once I recognized and acknowledged where I was, then I, I, what I wanted to do was understand how I got there. And that's what I went to sort of uh, went into the past and sort of looked at things uh, that happened throughout my past. And there were events in my life where if you take them singularly, they didn't really mean much. But if you sort of thread them along side by side, they started to sort of make sense to me. And then, of course, the big one was taking responsibility that I'm the only one responsible for my life, my reactions, the way I respond to other people, and then doing something about it. So, um, and which is when I got into sort of uh, training for life coaching and NLP, and, and I did a lot of uh, reading and research on emotional intelligence and understanding that and how that works and, uh, and mindfulness. And I did some Joe Dispenza stuff, understanding how from a scientific perspective, how the brain works and how all those things interconnect with your emotions. So having those, that information, having information is one thing, but doing something with it is another thing. So I think that was the biggest thing for me where when I pulled it all together is to take all that stuff and over a period of time, I'm drawing from a number of different uh, resources now inside me where I'm making my days uh, increasingly better. And I'm better as a person, to be honest. Cool. And I, I like you talked about taking responsibility for your life because in the, in the traditional, you know, masculine teachings and expectations, responsibility seems to be a part of it. But then I also feel like th there's a lot of fear, not wanting to respond. Like it, it's easier to blame and, and point at others. And, you know, they're like responsibility you know, being the breadwinner, being strong. There's all these things that responsibility are tied in, but then it also seems that we're hesitant to take responsibility for our, our life, as you said. Well, yeah, it's, um, and that's a huge uh, ownership value. It's not, I think it was Brene Brown said vulnerability is, is where fear and courage meet. And uh, uh, that's so, so true. So, um, that whole responsibility bit, everybody, everybody has their own journey. And, and, and the only way people look at the, the, the world and what other people are going through is through their own eyes, through their own experience. Mm -hmm. And again, that's the part you need to take responsibility for. So, and that means one, that one big thing is that just because I grew up a certain way, my experiences have made me a certain type of person. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. I'm right. You know, and that, that's where the mindfulness comes in, where you have that sort of uh, emotional resilience to say, okay, this is what I think about a certain particular thing, but the other person, because of their journey and their experiences, the way they grew up in their culture, they think of it slightly differently. It's like, well, I never really thought about it that way. So keeping that open mind to take on and be curious about what other people think and how they got there is a lot more powerful than saying, look, you know, I, I grew up this way. I think about this in a particular, my culture is, and this is how so many religious wars have happened over the centuries is that, because I'm a, I'm a Christian and you're a Muslim, I'm right, you're wrong, and vice versa. And that's still prevalent in our society in so many damaging ways. So, uh, you know, having that resilience of emotion and intellect uh, allows you to actually take other people's uh, viewpoints and curiosities on board. And if we could all do that, make the world a much better place, I think. 
Sure, yeah, because taking responsibility for for my life, you taking responsibility for your life, it, it's that's not taking responsibility for others and trying to force others to think or feel something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, I, yeah. and that maybe that's part of it. Um, realizing the only thing we can be responsible for is is ourselves. And You're absolutely right in the sense that, yeah, the, what, that version that we bring to ourselves or that, that, that version of ourselves we bring to the world is, okay, I, okay I'm, uh, I'm a big advocate of being kind to people, even strangers, because you have no idea that something that you might say, whether it be kind or whether it be cruel, could affect that person for the rest of their life. Or if they're, in, if they're really toying with suicide ideation, it could be something that actually pulls them to that dark side where they make that decision. So that's taking responsibility for what you say, how you say it, and who you say it to. So rather than say something that's nasty or evil, just keep your mouth shut because it doesn't need to be out there. Cool. So your awakening was really caused by, you know, this traumatic emotional experience that seemed to like kind of catch you by surprise. Like you, you saw the ending of this relationship coming, but then the, the impact on you yeah. seemed to be a, the big surprise. So, and I'll tell you how that happened. I mean, it was, um, again, we're, we're going back to the, 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 the stereotypes of what a man is supposed to be in that relationship. I was working from home. I, I was making 25% of the, the, the salary I was making before. And before, like, uh, she would show up and say, hey, we're going to go to, uh, let's go to Sri Lanka for the weekend, you know, and we would go. And now that was all gone. And, you know, I remember her asking me, let, let's go to Cairo because she's, she's an avid traveler. It's like, no, I don't want to. Now that no, I don't want to was my shame about the fact that I could not do that for her. Mm. And I didn't want to have that conversation because I didn't want to make myself out to being any less than what I was when I actually started this relationship. Right. So I ran from it. I didn't want to have that conversation. Yeah. And I was afraid I was going to get the answers I was most fearful for. So it, I just ran the other way. And, it, and then of course everything folded in on itself and I ended up where I was going to end up anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not doing that again. <laughs> good, good. So do you think that, it, that it, does it take a traumatic experience for you know, a closed off man to, to open up to vulnerability and their emotions? Wow, good question. I, I think everybody's different. I think everybody responds to different stimuli in their lives and their environments. Um, I, I'm sure that that wakes you up and makes you question what you're doing. Now, what, now again, like whether you take action, whether you, even if you take responsibility, if you don't do something about it, you're still stuck in the same grind. Mm. So, and that, that's the biggest key. And that's looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, my life sucks. And I know that I'm taking responsibility for that. Now, what am I going to do about that? So, and that's the biggest thing where people get, because they don't know what to do. So for men in particular, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Um, because uh, again, they're, they're, they don't want to admit that they're any less than what other people think that they are. Mm. And they don't want to venture down that road because I want to still be the tough guy. And, and I think, and I've said this before on talking to different people where I think our women are a bit contributory to that because they don't want to see, and I hate this word, but they want to see a man act like a pussy, like he's breaking down and crying and all that kind of stuff. Like, who are you? Who did I marry? You know, so I think there's a bit, there's another side to that where men have that fear that the, their partner would, uh, would feel that about them. And, 
and I think women are, are a bit in fear of seeing that in their partner, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, huh. Because I do see, you know, women will often talk to me like, oh, I, w- I can't run a guy that, that's emotional, is outgoing, and, yeah. you know, when willing to yeah. share what's going on for him. But that, and then I have that's, men take that same experience yeah. that when I do that, then I'm judged and like, oh, and it, so it is, yeah. that, you know, unconsciously, you know, both sexes kind of work to keep kind of old yeah. stereotypes in place. Um, yeah, exactly. Because it's, it's, it's their norm. It's yeah, and it, and it, and it's, uh, and, and in a sense, it's, it's like, it's almost like it's easier if, if everybody's bottled up, <laughs> not really connecting and feeling like there's yeah. no one else gets triggered or, I don't yeah. know, it's, it's, it's strange. It's strange. Well, I, it, it, they do get triggered, but it's unconscious, you know, so, yeah. uh, and I'll give you an example of a friend of mine who uh, is trying to make some change in his life and uh, he read some of my books on mindfulness, John Kabat-Zinn, et cetera, and about meditation. And uh, he works in another country. So when he went home, he talked to his wife and uh, he said, uh, yeah, you know, like I'm trying to open up and, and she's a bit dramatic. So he's trying to regulate himself so that he can better deal with, you know, their relationship and bring her along with, for the journey, so to speak. And he had mentioned something to her and saying, that, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, studying and reading about mindfulness and doing a bit of meditation. And she says, what, what are you doing that hippie shit for? And it just destroyed him. It was like, yeah, God, like I'm doing this for myself, but again, for us, you know, and it's that door just didn't even, just didn't open one inch. And he was really, really, uh, un- not unha- unhappy. Yeah. But he was disappointed, disappointed. Yeah. And it, it, that's where it takes bravery and courage and vulnerability again when faced with that, yeah. just to not retreat, just go, well, I'm doing it because of yeah. this and, and have yeah. a conversation yeah. instead of just, oh, and walk away with your tail between yeah. your legs, you know, but. Yeah, but, but how many times in our lives, especially when we were younger, that that happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, Where no. I, yeah. Well, I'm not uh, saying it's easy. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and we, we have a history of that. And to break out of that sort of cycle, again, it's, it's tough because we think back to when it happened many years ago and a number of times many years ago. And, and uh, yeah, it's a real shame. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I was going to ask the difference between responding and reacting, and, and it feels like that was you know an example right there. Yeah, I mean the, the whole yeah the reaction is um, you know, when some you, when you're in a situation where you have somebody that says something to you that's very condescending or whatever the case may be, you're you're just triggered right then and there, and you're going to react and you're going to say something and rebuttal. And I'll give you an example. So you come home from, you come home from work and um, uh, you're late and you've got plans with your partner. And she says, you're always late. You know, what's going on? Like, I'm getting really tired of this. Well, you're triggered by the first statement. No, no, wait now. I'm not always late. And in your mind, you're coming up with examples where you weren't late. I'm not always late. And that creates a uh, almost like a ping pong anger match where, okay, I'm going to respond and I'm going to react and you're reacting and you're reacting and it just goes downhill real quickly. However, if the opening statement was something along the lines of, you know what, you said you were going to be here by six, it's almost seven. It just made me feel today like you just didn't care about, you know, what I really wanted to do this evening. 
that's a very different conversation because yeah, you're right. And this happened, that happened. I'll try not to make that happen again. It doesn't re it doesn't actually trigger that defense mechanism. So, and once you go down that defense mode, then it's, it's a no win situation. So there's two different, very different conversations happening there. One that's positive and, and you get something out of it. And there's probably a learning, a learning growth experience there. And the other one, it's you're, you kind of feel like, why are we always arguing? We're fighting about everything. You know, what, what, you know why am I here? So it's two very different results. Right, right. So the reaction is the reacting is that that unconscious, the defense is up, yeah. it's ready for battle, and fight or flight. The yeah. responding is is it, taking that deep breath, slowing things down, and yeah. talking about how you feel in in this yeah. moment. And maybe maybe it's as yeah. simple as adding that, like I feel like you're always late, and just yeah, exactly. is, is that a way to soften into it? Yeah, and, and again, we're going back to the mindfulness, like being in the present, listening to what's saying, what's being said, and how it's said. Watching body language, it's like, well, like you know, she's you know, she's really, really on edge about this. And even if she came up with the, uh, if you're very, very self-aware, uh, even if she came up with that, you're always late. You can still okay check yourself, check the defense mechanism, and say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to go there, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to respond to this in a more empathetic, empathic way, sort of thing. Yeah, And that then, again, that's the whole thing about she's angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to listen to what she has to say. And I'm going to respond in a, in a kind of empathic way where that other person has got nowhere to go with that anger, but to just calm down because she's not being fed by the other side. Right, right. And, yeah, and it's the, um, even if someone is just getting into this and trying to just raise their awareness, when, when you're rehearsing your response You've stopped listening. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're preparing your yeah. reaction. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Not, and, and, if, and, and by the time you can't wait to get your words out hmm. and you don't even remember the last 10 or 15 words they said. Right. Right. Because yeah. you switched off. You yep. actually switched off. Yeah. You need stop talking, stop talking. So I can yell back at you about what you said a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's tough. It's hard. It's a yeah. lot of practice. Yeah, practice and and work and yeah. and it, and why it feel why it is work is because it's what we're not used to. So it takes some yeah. more conscious effort to go yeah. in a new direction, to slow down, to change what's been yeah. autopilot for for years. Yeah, it's like water. Water, water will find the easiest way out. Hmm. And as human beings, that's kind of the easiest way out. And you know, it, it even though it's a drama, it's still our comfort zone or what we know is a comfort zone. Yeah. Anytime we step out of that comfort zone, it gets difficult, but that's where life is. I think life is outside the comfort zone. That's where you live. And if you can constantly go there, your comfort zone actually uh, expands and you can keep stepping outside of that. And that creates a, a new version of yourself over a period of time. Cool. Cool. Uh, is through the course of writing and, and hearing from other men and, and being in interviews, is, is there anything you wish more men realized? More men realized. Um, yeah. Um, we have this bucket load of stuff inside of us and that, and that's, that's feeling, that's emotion. That's the struggle for conversation and communication. And I think what, men need to realize is that they're not alone. There's hundreds of millions of us out there that are in exactly the same boat. And as soon as, uh, and I've had this experience before, as soon as you express that fear of doing those things, 
all of a sudden it's like people are rallying around you saying, Hey man, like I, I really know what you're saying because you know what? I struggle with that too, or I just can't get the right words out. Like I want to talk. I don't know how. And even when I struggle and I get slammed, I shut down, but I, I keep trying. And that is a, a resonance that needs to be spread because of so many men out there thinking that uh, they're the only one and they're, they, they, they're the only one that can't handle this. And they, they, they're the only one that is not allowed to put their emotions out there. Um, and in, in retrospect, I mean, it's interesting because when people start to shut down and people start to, to close in on themselves, I mean, obviously we all, you know, we all hear and know about depression and anxiety and all those types of things. And I wrote an article for a magazine in Australia and I was quoting suicide statistics in the UK, uh, which meant that uh, 75% of suicides were men. And uh, they said, well, nobody, nobody in Australia cares about the UK. Why don't you quote Australian statistics? So I researched it. I came up and it was astonishing that the number was literally less than one percentage point difference. Mm. 75% of men in Australia commit suicide of all the suicides uh, committed in the course of a year. It's really, really bizarre. It mm. really is. And that's part of that whole struggle about how we don't know where to go with it sometimes. Mm. And we'd rather just check out. Um, I don't know some of your story as well, and you've been on that road as well, but uh, it's, you know, it's, I think that's the biggest thing is, look, it's so it, it, we're all brothers in the sense that we've all been there. We all know it. And some of us are more open about expressing it. And, and, and let's keep that door open for those people. Yeah, that's what I find time and time again, getting over that fear of, of any man sharing something. I, yeah. I, I've not seen or experienced it myself. There's never been like, oh, my God, I'm feeling this or I'm afraid of this or I did this, that there's, there's always been some, well, you know, me, me too. I've, I've been there and I, or I'm there now, or I knew someone. Right. Um, yeah. but part of the, part it's of a the whole different me too movement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a whole it, different me too movement. You know? Right. But it's right. on the other side of it. Yeah. 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 And the ability to, for men to, to drop that mask. Cause I think the the biggest lie we all have is like, oh. we, got it, we got it all figured out. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'll go off on that one because when you walk into when you walk back home after being away and and, and you know that there's a, there's an uncomfortableness in the house and you, you say to your partner so so uh, so how are you doing today like how are things I'm fine there's not a single woman in the world that I've ever met and I've known that when she says fine that she's okay she's yeah. not okay yeah. you know and and our problem is being men uh, I think we have a, a an emotional problem or, or something that we need to figure out. We won't talk about it because we feel that we have to sort it out in our own head, come up with our own solution. Then we talk, but we never get there because we keep going around in circles in our head and we never get to that solution. Mm. Cool. Cool. So, so Rick, what's the best way for people to uh, learn more about you, connect with you? Uh, well, I have a, I have a website, uh, Rick dash sharp S H A R P E dot com. And uh, obviously the book is out on Amazon. And uh, I have an Instagram page that I don't pay, I'll be honest, I don't pay a lot of attention to it. And I should. <laughs> and I've had people that I have people that know me say, You need to get this stuff out there, you know. And seriously, yeah. So uh, it, that's work in itself as well. So hmm. I need to, I need to do that as well. Cool. Well, again, the, the book is called The Price of Heartbreak Healing is Mindfully Feeling. And I mean, all the points that have been hit in this conversation are, are in the book. And 
authenticity, vulnerability, a man really sharing his pain and looking into it and finding the treasure, right? Realizing that our willingness to feel horrible can lead to feeling wonderful. Yeah, yeah. There's always sunshine after a storm. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, well well, uh, cool. Um, Rick, I really want to thank you for taking the time out of this and making this international technically challenged call happening. Yeah, <laughs> and it worked. Yeah, good deal. And uh, everyone for listening, thanks for listening. Definitely check out Rick's site and his book. Um, give, this, uh, give this podcast a, a like, a share, a comment. Uh, spread the, the fact that real men do indeed feel. And if there's a man out there that's uh, struggling in your life, just you know, be, be that safe space. Be that kind ear. You, you don't have to do or say anything. Just, just be willing to be there with someone in their pain and they will feel better. And I bet you will discover that you feel better in doing it as well. Cool. All right. Be well, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.